to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. And we'll look at a small section of chapter 4 this morning. Continuing our series as we make our way through this second letter of Paul to Timothy. We'll read from verse 1 of, of chapter 4 and ending at verse 4. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. May God add a blessing to this section of his holy word this morning. For those who have been tracking with us and following along, we'll understand that in the beginning of chapter 3, Paul there warns Timothy of the difficult days ahead of him. And he refers to those days as last days, which we have discussed was from the ascension of Christ right up into his yet future appearing. But in that chapter 3, he shifts counsel or shifts his emphasis and counsels Timothy to continue to live in and live out the God-breathed scriptures and how that the scriptures of truth were are totally adequate for equipping him and every uh, servant of the Lord of whom we all are for life and godliness. And now in chapter 4, Paul shifts his emphasis again and he charges Timothy with these well-known words to preach the word. At the end of chapter 3, it was all about Timothy and to how he was to live by the book, which we titled our message last week on, Living by the Book. But now Paul charges Timothy to preach the book. Paul has just told Timothy what the Scriptures are, and now he tells Timothy what he is to do with the Word of God, the Scriptures. It's been made clear that the Word of God is not a mere opinion of of men or some scholarly saint or pious saints. It's been made clear that the scripture is God revealing all that we need to know about himself and all that we need to know uh, about ourselves and how we need to obediently and in faith respond to him. We also learnt that his word, the scriptures, are authoritative. Authoritative in the sense that they are our final rule for faith and practice. They don't need any additions by men or religious organizations. And so because of this, Timothy is not only to live by this inspired word of God, but he is now charged to preach this inspired word. Hence, this is a very serious charge given to Timothy. 
It's also a weighty charge, might I say, for every pastor, teacher, elder, shepherd, all coming under that same banner. It's a weighty charge for all. And so the seriousness of the charge to preach the word, it needs to grip every minister of the gospel. And so in answer to the sermon title that I've got up on the screen for you this morning, preaching needs to be the priority function of every pastor's workload. As we are in the process, you will know, of looking for a new pastor to replace me when I move on early next year, God willing. This section of scripture is very relevant to us all. Now your new pastor may not cross every T or dot every I on your list of expectations. Just as none of your present elders and shepherds do either. None of us are perfect. But one thing, he or any pastor, shepherd of God's flock must and needs do for the spiritual health of God's people in a local assembly is to what? It is to this. He is to preach the word. I've made mention of this before, but when I was called to be pastor of this church, it was 15 years ago, a dear brother and a Bible teacher whom some of us will hear know, my friend Jim sitting here and Steve and Karen will certainly know him, Dr. Stan Toussaint privately counseled me with these words, Jeff, he says, whatever you do at New Community Church, you make sure you preach the word. And then he repeated his counsel because he obviously thought I'm going to forget this or a bit thick or something. And he says, Jeff, preach the word. And he repeated it, preach the word and then love the people. Folks, I've never forgotten those weighty words of Dr. Stan Toussaint from the United States. He's now gone to be with the Lord. So in that sense, they were his last words to me he was, as he was able, not able to travel back to Australia again owing to a, a degenerating health issue that he had right from a child. Well, in our text, what we have here is Paul's last words or last final charge to Timothy. As Paul's days were also numbered. He never had a degenerating health issue. Well, I guess he could have because he was about to be executed. And his execution was imminent and he even sensed this time of departure, his departure, as he refers to it in verse 6 of the chapter that we're reading. And so what he's doing here, he really hands over the baton to his younger friend and understudy, Timothy. This whole letter is that, but here it comes to the crux of it. So inspired by the Spirit of God... Paul realized that Satan would relentlessly in these last days and in even Timothy's days, Satan would relentlessly attack God's word. So this charge, this commission as it were, was and still is very timely. So having just emphasized the trustworthy nature of the word and its vital importance in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 3, Paul now charges Timothy and every pastor, might I say, ever since to be faithful to preach the word in spite of difficulties or any obstacle. Now, as you will know, preaching is a two-way street. It's no good me preaching up here with no one listening, right? 
So when it comes to preaching, there's preachers and hearers. So Paul's words are not only a solemn charge to pastors and preachers. This is also a solemn charge for all believers to welcome solid preaching. A great little book by the, on this, on, by the way, is, was written, is written, it's called Expository Listing, written by uh, a brother called Ken Ramey. And you, some of you will remember him because he was one of our in-step speakers some years ago. Expository Listing, if you really want to li- uh, read it, I've got a copy in my library, and uh, it's very, very insightful. So to understand something of the solemnity and the seriousness of this charge, let's look at verse 1, the weightiness of the charge. Now, receiving a charge is another word for being commissioned to serve in a particular field of work. Many of you here will remember, no doubt, the occasion when you received a charge or, or a commissioning at your graduation ceremony, whatever degree of uh, learning that you achieved. There's usually a charge or someone who gets up and speaks to you or a group of students or, or graduates, and um, you are charged to fulfill your potential in the particular area of training. And so this charge or commission is usually given by some dignitary or or some person of importance to all graduates. And the content of these charges usually focuses on the life pursuits of the graduates that they are speaking to. They emphasise how graduates need to put all their learning into practice for the benefit of others in order for them, the graduates, to fulfil their potential in life. That's how it usually goes down. And so you've heard of these kinds of addresses, I'm sure, at some stage. Well, here the Apostle Paul puts this charge to Timothy. But before he gives this charge, before he calls Timothy to do this very important thing, he wants to make sure that Timothy gets it. Okay? He wants to deeply impress upon Timothy how serious this charge really, really is. Now, I've had a couple of these commissionings or charges put to me, as some of you else here have too, as a graduate. And what you do when all the graduation ceremony is over, you tend to hang on every word. Well, I did anyway, and I'm sure Steve did it his, and Jim did it his, and others here who have graduated uh, in university or some other field. You tend to hang on and listen to what they say. You do this because not only is it a responsible matter that you're about to enter into your field of work, but addressing you on that occasion as a person who is of high standing usually and who deserves your respect and a listening ear at the very least. Some people have that effect on you, right? Not all, but some. I remember as a student, my friend Jim here and Steve and Karen will remember this, and I'm sure that they will have empathy with me. I remember as a student, with almost like a fear and trembling effect, it was and it had on me when you were summoned into Dr. Dean Wood's office at Adelaide College of Ministries. Remember that? Steve, there he was, seated behind his great big desk, dressed up, a little better than I am, but he had a tie on, and um, 
He was a scholar. He was a gentleman. He was an exegete of the scriptures. And he was skilled in both Hebrew and Greek. I'm speaking in the past tense because I'm speaking back then day. Dr. Dean is still very much alive, so he hasn't passed on. Not to my knowledge anyway. And here you were summoned to sit before him and hear what he had to say. You see, this, word, this man's word, words had a profound effect on me. You know why? Because of who he was. Because of who he was. Well, the Apostle Paul is wanting to impress here upon Timothy how serious a charge it was he was going to give to him. And notice how he does it. He tells us how he does this in verse 1. He does this by giving five qualifying statements or aspects of the weightiness of this charge that he was about to bring. And the first one where he says, I solemnly charge you, Timothy. He says this to impress upon Timothy the seriousness of this charge. Now, you can imagine this. Use your sanctified imagination and pretend to be Timothy here and here's the great apostle speaking to you. And, and no doubt Timothy would be thinking, what, I already thought your warning and counsel in chapter 3 was solemn and deadly serious. You're going to get more serious? Are you moving up a gear? Now, it's not that what Paul said in chapter 3 was light and trivial and now he's going to get serious. No, it wasn't like that at all. But what Timothy needed to understand was that if he thought chapter 3 or the words in chapter 3 were full-on solemn and weighty, this will take you, Timothy, to another level altogether. Paul kind of says here, you think it was solemn matter in telling you to follow me in suffering? You think it was a solemn matter when I warned you about false teachers wrecking havoc in the church? Well, I was deadly serious. And that is very solemn, but now I'm really going to get intensely serious, so listen up. And so he impresses on Timothy the significance of what he's doing by reminding him of the weightiness and solemnity of this divine charge that he's about to give. But he doesn't stop there, he moves on, and we will see then that he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God. You see that? So Paul's own solemnity was not enough. Paul saw the need to, to add some real, undisputable, divine weight to this charge that he is about to give. Timothy and every pastor teacher needs to understand that it's not some high-powered official or dignitary or a Supreme Court judge or even the church congregation that preachers stand and are accountable to. They need to understand that. It's not them. It's as if Paul takes Timothy here, not into Dr. Dean's office, but into the very courtroom of heaven, and then he calls on God to be a witness to this charge that he's about to pour out on Timothy. Timothy and all who teach God's word, and all who sit under their teaching, by the way, need to see that the one who is the, on the judge's bench is God, the maker of heaven and earth. Paul was saying, this is the one who's watching you, Timothy, and witnessing this charge, Timothy, and he's, he's going to watch how you respond for the rest of your life to this charge that is being laid on you. It's God who's watching you. How vital this charge, this weighty charge is for us to recognize today, folks, how vital it is. 
both pastors and those who make up the flock like yourselves this morning, this is solemnity at its highest level. We're all under the scrutiny of the majestic and awesome God. This is the one who all preachers and pastors and elders and saints alike are accountable to. Very serious. But Paul's not finished yet. He keeps on going. Notice what he says next. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. You see, Paul calls on Timothy to swear allegiance to this particular task, to this duty, under the watchful gaze of his Redeemer. At my commencement or commissioning service for this church, 15 years ago, back in 2003. Dr. Dean Woods was there again. And he invited, I can well remember the occasion, both my wife and I, to kneel before the Lord and the congregation gathered there that day. And there we promised that we would, by the grace of God, uphold and live out and preach God's word as a faithful minister of the gospel. And by God's grace, I, I don't believe I have reneged on that charge because I knew full well who my primary witness was and is. You see, those dear people gathered there that day were but secondary witnesses. Secondary witnesses. Actually, there's none here today bar Sharon. She's the only one. Bless her soul. She's persevered and endured, and endured me. So she got top marks for preserving, persevering. And so by God's grace, I was made to understand way back then that it was in the presence of Christ Jesus that I took on this responsibility and that added a measurable weight to the promise that I made. Pretty more folk don't understand that when they promise to love one another until death do us part at their marriage ceremony, right? Because same thing. The people gathered at the ceremony are only secondary witnesses. God is the primary. And Lord Jesus Christ is the primary. And so my accountability as your pastor, as one of your shepherds, is to the Lord first and foremost. And folks, that often, believe you me, makes me tremble, as it should, as it should, because I know I am accountable to God and to Christ Jesus. You see, Timothy's job, as for every pastor, is to preach the word, preach the word without compromise. Why? Because we are personally and directly accountable to Christ Jesus to get it right, to preach God's word of salvation, which has been brought about through Jesus Christ. And Paul says, Timothy, what I'm about to charge you with, I want you to understand that the Lord Jesus, our Redeemer, your Redeemer, Timothy, he's watching. And as I deliver this charge, Timothy, you must understand that you are accountable for, to him for how you respond for the rest of your life. But Paul carries on. He says a fourth thing. I solemnly charge you in the presence of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead. 
Paul's like a dog with a bone. He doesn't let up. Paul gets up close and personal to Timothy and all of us here, I might say, because in other words, what Paul says to Timothy, he says, Timothy, I want you to remember something about the Redeemer. He's not only your saviour, but he's also coming to judge the living and the dead. The focus here is on the Lord's judgment of believers of whom all will one day appear, as we have in 2 Corinthians 5.10, who will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed for the deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. This is what the focus here is. And so Paul is saying to Timothy here, Timothy, I don't want you to ever forget that the Lord Jesus Christ, who who is watching you and, and, and will be scrutinizing how you respond to this charge, he is also coming to judge the faithfulness of the living and the dead. And Timothy, that includes you. That includes you. You see, folks, because of this profound and weighty responsibility placed upon any pastor or teacher in the church, God says through James, whom a group of us were looking at this morning, this wonderful little epistle, He says this in James chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Let not many of you become teachers knowing that you will have to incur a stricter judgment. So it kind of should curb the loose frivolity of men trying and thinking that they're fit and ready to take a place of teaching amongst God's people. So this weighty charge witnessed by Christ Jesus, the judge of the living and the dead, it demands the pastor's obedient and solemn response. But can I say it also demands from us that we need to be much in prayer? Every single one of us here? It it demands that we need to be much in prayer for the faithfulness of those who teach the word of God among us. And so the last emphasis that Paul uses here to load up this charge is seen at the end of verse 1. He says, I solemnly charge you by his appearing and his kingdom. You will know how some people swear on certain things, you know. As a witness in court, you have the opportunity to place your hand on the Bible and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, etc. You may have heard people say something like this, I swear on my mother's grave. Some people do that. Christians shouldn't. Our yeas should be yea, and our nays should be nay, as the scriptures tell us, but there you are. And so this swearing or taking an oath, it's all about adding weight and solemnity to the truth of what they're about to say or what they have said. It's about removing doubt or any idea of doubt of what they've said and what it's supposed to do is to solidly solidly clinch their position or what they're saying. Well, here Paul does this and adds further weight to this divine charge to Timothy. Why does he do that? He does it in order to solidly clinch Timothy's God-appointed ministry to him. He encourages and reminds Timothy of an event that every gospel preacher longs for and I hope every saint longs for. That is, this is the great hope of the believer. That is the coming of Jesus Christ. This is the, the deal clincher, so to speak. Paul speaks 
in more detail of this in verse 8 of this same chapter. This is what he says. In the future of himself, he says, in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. And folks, Timothy for sure loved and clung on to and built his life around this great and wonderful day, the event that clinched the deal for him. And this is why he needs and we need as faithful ministers of the gospel to continue and to hold to our responsibility. So Timothy would not dare despise, he would not dare treat this future event lightly. It was, as I said, it was the deal clincher. It was the it all end all, as it were, of his future. For this is when the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, will rapture his bride home and he'll set about putting everything right that was wrong wrong on the earth. This will happen, folks. This, This is going to happen. This is when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2.11 This is the hope of all true believers. Amen. This is what it is. And this hope needs to clinch every pastor's faithfulness to his call and every believer's obedience to the preached word. Why? Simply this, because Jesus Christ is coming again. I wonder, does this future event that is promised in Scripture stir any of us and encourage any of us and exhort any of us as it should? second point of my message this morning is the ingredients of this charge, and we see this in verse 2. And here we see that Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, keep on heralding. This is what the idea is. Keep on heralding, publicly telling forth God's message. Keep on proclaiming, Timothy, this divinely appointed message of truth. This is what he has in mind when he says in verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. He is telling Timothy what his prime calling and mission on earth is. And Paul in this verse punches out five imperatives or five commands in this little wee verse. If you notice them, the first one is preach, the second one is be ready, then it goes on reprove and then rebuke and then finally exhort. There are five commands here. All of them pointing to that one central charge, preach the word. Timothy is to, above all things, publicly proclaim the divinely authorized message, God's message to man. He's not a pastor. He's not a, he's not a shepherd of the flock if he doesn't do that, folks. I know we have pastors of this and pastors of that. We have pastors of administration. We have pastors of this and uh, all sorts of things these days, but they're using the word in the wrong sense. If you want to talk about the word accurately, a pastor is a shepherd. He's one who, in God's um, estimation, is to herald and proclaim the message that God has appointed. And so here he is telling what his primary calling and mission on earth is and, um, and all of them point to the central charge, as I said, to preach the word. And that's his prime mission. You know, Timothy was a timid man as we have looked into this, right? Like many of us, there were things that he would rather not do because he was timid. There was possibly a fear of man. Uh, He had lots of things going on. And Ephesus was a pretty rough place, if you remember. 
and um, there was heaps of persecution and you were shouted down and cried down and, and um, etc. And, uh, and this is, Timothy was right amongst of us, but, but, but Timothy was not to be daunted by his own timidity. He, he was not to be daunted and stimmied from preaching the word because he had a lack of confidence. And especially because he was a younger man than probably many of them in his congregation and around that he was talking to. He wasn't to be stimmied or, or, or muffled by that. Timothy was continued to faithfully preach the word. But this task of preaching was not to be taken lightly. He was to be ready for it. That's the second command. He was to be ready for it. This means that he was to be prepared in readiness and that would include studying of the scriptures and, and rightly dividing the word of the truth so he could accurately proclaim it. He was to be ready and prepared by understanding the word and the word ready here means also to be on guard for whoever and whatever that he might be confronted with. You remember there were false teachers making inroads to the church and it seems that they made their way into the leadership and, and had some seniority in the church and he had to be ready to confront them. And we see that this readiness was to be in season and out of season. Sounds strange in our language to use those words, but what that simply means is uh, that even if people do not want your message, Timothy, even if they... If it's not convenient for them, if, or if, if the message that from the Word of God is not palatable for them, or, or it's not welcomed by them, you stick to your guns, Timothy, and you preach the Word. Like Paul, who faced and was warned of the danger of Jerusalem, you know, when he came back from his journey, he was heading up to Jerusalem, and um, he came to Caesarea, and there was a group of godly people, and they said, Paul, Paul, please, please don't, please don't. don't. They're waiting to chop your head off up there, uh, Paul. You, you put your life on the line. Don't go there. Acts 21, verse 13, this is what Paul says. In response to their warnings, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? You love that? What are you doing weeping and, and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but to even die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. What a man. Acts 21 verse 13. This is a man who was ready to proclaim and to preach the word no matter what. Nothing was going to stimmy or muffle his proclamation of the word of God. You see, Timothy and every pastor teacher needs to be ready to preach the word no matter what the culture or what the political climate may be or what they demand. We also see that in his proclamation, the pastor is to reprove and rebuke. This is the third command. That is, he's to warn the people of, of God's wrath and judgment against sins and against the errors of this world. That's what it means here, to reprove and rebuke. In other words, the faithful pastor who preaches the word, he is to speak to our conscience and, and he's to aim for conviction with a view of causing them to repent toward God and have faith in Jesus Christ. He is to remind us of the consequences of sin. That's what a faithful pastor does. He will never treat the sinfulness in people's lives with kid gloves and tone down the sinful actions. He won't do that. People can get real uncomfortable when you remind them about these kind of things, won't they? They don't like it. 
often they want their pastor to ignore sin and kind of just gloss over it and just get on with something else. And often people only want to hear the positive. You ever notice that? Right through evangelical churches these days, it's all about positivity. It's all about rah, rah, rah. But the faithful pastor will point out the positive and the negative. He will point out God's righteous standard for living and also sin and its dire consequences. He won't hold back. A faithful pastor who preaches the word will reprove and rebuke when needed, both privately and publicly, I might say. And then Paul goes on to say, you are to exhort or admonish them. This word exhort or admonish is from the Greek word that has the idea of of coming alongside. And here it carries the idea of, of giving encouragement. And the following words on this verse indicate this. It says, admonish them with great patience and instruction. You see that? In other words, a true pastor who has reproved and rebuked will then show tenderness by coming alongside that person or persons to encourage them. He just doesn't give them a blast about their sin and just leave them wallowing in in grief and shame. He will also come along and point them the way to righteousness and faith and repentance in Christ. He gives them a way and tells them the way of escape, can we say. He tells them of God's mercy for the sinner. And this he will do with great patience and also by instructing them from the Scriptures. But like a father to his child, as we have in 1 Thessalonians 2.11, the father has to rebuke and sometimes even discipline his child, but he doesn't do it out of anger or just venting his wrath and leaving it there. He will do it so that, that child will repent and know the right way from the wrong. In other words, we all need to be reproved and rebuked for the wrong things, but also we need to be patiently encouraged in the right things, right? That's what a godly pastor will do as he preaches the word. Now you may be saying, so what? Certainly I know as I look around you might be saying a lot of pastors certainly need this word this morning. What's it got to do with me? Well, if this is what you're thinking, let me remind you that this has a whole lot to do with you. A whole lot to do with you. For example, if, if Paul is telling Timothy what a faithful shepherd must do for God's people, then it stands for reason that God's people must need what Paul tells Timothy and every pastor to do, right? We need that. In other words, if Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, in order for you to be a faithful minister, you must preach the word, then it must mean that the people of God need to hear and obey the preached word. It's pretty simple. Folks, this charge to shepherds of God's flock demands your attentive and prayerful ears at the very best, at the very least, I should say. Your prayers need to be Your prayers need to be upon hearing this solemn charge this morning. Maybe something like this. Lord, if you are telling my pastor what you want him to do and to tell me, then you're also telling me that I also need to hear and obey. So Lord, grant me ears to hear and a heart to obey the preached word 
even if it hurts, even if it really costs me. Have you ever prayed like that? I trust you will from now on. See, folks, this pastoral charge has a whole lot to do with us all. And may the Lord raise up faithful preachers and teachers of his word in a day where there is literally a famine of such faithful preaching. And finally, we'll have a look at the backdrop of this charge. We see this in verse 3 and 4. You see, Timothy and every reader could well ask, why is this charge so important? Why is it so vital and urgent? Why does Paul make such a big deal about it? You know, why does it include it in his last words, highlighting the vital necessity of it? Well, it's all to do with the context or the backdrop of this charge. It's urgent because of the cultural context of all that was and still is happening all around us. It was happening in Paul's day and it's happening still today because after all, we're still in all in the last days, right? And so Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you need to keep on preaching God's message. You need to keep on preaching the truth because a time is coming when people will prefer myths and traditions rather than truth. This is when sound doctrine will be out the door and considered only as divisive and unnecessary. That's what's going to happen, Timothy. That's what's going to happen. See, Paul is giving reason why it's so urgent for Timothy and every pastor to be diligent in his work. So he says, there's going to come a time, Timothy, when they won't even listen. There's going to come a time when people will want their ears tickled. That is, tickled with positive, feel-good messages rather than the whole convicting counsel of God as recorded in the Scriptures. There's going to come a time when charlatan gospel celebrities will be flocked after in their thousands rather than God's men who preach the word. And it's this form of godliness that he makes reference to back in chapter 3 and verse 5. This counterfeit gospel, it has no transforming power. It may very well be attractive and appealing to the flesh and make their listener and hearer feel good about themselves, but as a result, it will turn away their ears from the truth. Did you get that? This gospel light, this unsound doctrine, it will dislocate, disconnect. By the way, the word turn away, that's what, that's what that word means, turn away in the Greek. It means to dislocate or disconnect. Like It's usually often used in medical terms when a bone was put out of joint, like I saw some bones put out of joint in the rugby game last night. They had to go off the field. They were out of play. They were disconnected from the team. And so this is what... It will, this is how it will be. As a result, it will turn away the ears from the truth. And so this is why it's urgent, Timothy. This is why it's vital. The true flock of God is in grave danger of being seduced by such fluff and bubble, can I say. Because that's what it does. Wow. This is all very close to home, isn't it? It's around us everywhere today. This, is, this danger is, it's right at our doorstep. Worship services where God's word takes a back seat, if any at all. Sermons that are nothing but humanly motivational 
but they completely bypass the intent of the inspired scriptures and its meaning. We know churches that once preached preach the word, but, but, but are now given away to liberalism and pragmatism and feel-good sermonettes in order to make people comfortable, in order to fill pews, and doing so, the true gospel is completely lost. And in that environment, people don't know what truth is or what it's not. They're completely disconnected. And when they hear truth, and when they hear something solid, I say, what planet is this church or pastor coming from? Because I've got so used to the fluff and bubble that Satan has deceived them and their minds have, and hearts have been turned away from the truth. Folks, these times are upon us. Us in the church, believers today are in peril. They are in peril. And it just encourages us and exhorts us how much more we need to specifically pray for the shepherds of this church and other churches that we know that may be on the edge, as it were. That men of God will be raised up to preach the word and that all the saints, all those who gather might hunger for the preached word in order to be transformed by the word of God. Amen? Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we have looked at a serious text of your word this morning. A text that has been preached on and spoken of down through the millennium. But Father, it grieves us to see in this day and age, so many churches who would go by the name of gospel churches who are giving way and handing over and becoming disconnected from the preached word as you intended it to be. Well, Father, we don't sit in judgment, but we pray, Lord, that you will have mercy upon us, mercy upon us in this land of Australia that you would continue to raise up men to preach the word, that you would protect this church and have it that men would continue to preach the word faithfully and that hearers alike would be obedient and understand the solemnity of the charge and their responsibilities before God and Christ Jesus because there is coming a day when we will give an account to him as preachers and hearers alike and so father we pray that you might speak to us through your word today and transform us and change us these things we would ask in the name of our lord and savior jesus christ amen